It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jerry Willis. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, July 25th, 2022. I'm Eben Brown. Last week's cheers of a deal reached between Russia and Ukraine to allow Ukrainian grain finally to ship to starving nations is now marred by a Russian strike on the key Ukrainian port city of Odessa. Everybody was sort of looking at this like Ukraine and and saying, we don't trust this, right? We need to do this. We need to broker this deal. It's the thing we have to do, but we don't trust the Russians. This is the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Ukraine's plentiful grain has long helped to feed wide parts of Africa and the Middle East. Russia's war has curtailed that especially because of Russia blocking and taking over Ukrainian seaports, mining shipping channels in the Black Sea, and threatening to destroy port infrastructure. An agreement brokered by Turkey and reached last week seemed to provide some means for Ukraine to sell its grain and for needy nations to receive it. And then Russia struck Odessa with a missile attack. Zelensky basically had his press release already printed, um, on this one, he said, see, I told you, I, t- I told you that Putin was going to do this, right? right. Um, we, we can't trust them. Dr. Matthew Schmidt is a professor of national security and international affairs at the University of New Haven in Connecticut. So I think nobody is surprised that Putin fired missiles into Odessa. And then, of course, I was not surprised that this morning, Sergei Lavrov puts out a release, uh, the, the foreign minister, and says, hey, but we didn't violate the, the, the agreement, the agreement said we couldn't blow each other's ships up. So he's, you know, towing that line. He's gaslighting, uh, as is the normal MO for, for Russian foreign affairs and saying, you know, like, well, we, we, we can shoot stuff in the city, but we're just going to let you know, right, that we can, we can get there, we can get at you. And I think, you know, I think um, it's not going to stop the deal because I think everybody knew that this was the way it was going to go from the start. As long as the, you know, as long as the ground shots don't get so bad that you can't load the grain and, and there's no indication that they are, I think it's just signaling. Um, but Ukraine needs the money. Right. And right. there's a strategic benefit to just being able to get those ships out and, and through the minefields and, and things like that. So I think Ukraine's going to go ahead with it. Um, and th- I think the big issue, though, is, you know, the the U.N. is estimating it's about 40 million tons of grain. Uh, in the in the yearly shortfall, right? Right. That we're facing. Well, everything I've seen suggests that we'd be lucky to get out 25 million in the next right. And this deal, this deal is really going to take about 120 days, right? The rest of the fall to sort of to sort of come into fruition here. So it's going to be slow. There are going to be food shortages until we we ramp up on it. And even when we ramp up, I think we're still looking at something closer to half of what you need to stave off famine. So I, I, I think it's it's a necessary thing for Ukraine to do, and it's good for the world, but I think we shouldn't get our hopes up on it. Did Russia, do you think, um, uh, 
spend out any goodwill that it, it might have been generating by by attacking Odessa or you know, is the uh, the expressed outrage and frustration and disappointment and, and anger and condemnations just sort of playing the theater here? We kind of we do, do we expect them to do these kinds of things? I, I don't think there is any goodwill towards Russia anymore. Not, not whatever goodwill West. might have been there. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Say whatever, yeah. what I, whatever might have been generated by the agreement reached, uh, reached last week is what I'm referring to. So I, I don't, I don't think there, there was much. I really think that, it, you know, everybody was sort of looking at this like Ukraine and, and saying, we don't, we don't trust this, right. We need to do this. We need to broker this deal. Um, but it's, it's a thing we have to do, uh, but we don't trust the Russians. I don't think anybody trusted the Russians on this deal at all. Speaking of not trusting the Russians, um, that seems to, I think, relate to most of U.S.-Russian relationships over the past, you know, 60, 70, 80 years. Uh, was there ever a time where we actually trusted them? I mean, I, I know that's a hard question to answer, you know, trying to sum up decades worth of foreign <laughs> policies. But yeah, was there the, ever a time? I think there was. Okay. There was a time when, I mean, I think we trusted Gorbachev, but we're speaking very broadly here, right? right? Intelligence yes. services never trust. They're, they're trying to, to verify and things like that. But, but overall, if you look at the political tone here, I think in the 1980s, you start to see real trust. You see it even in the 70s with arms control agreements. Now, it's trust based on the idea that, that there's mutual interest, right? That the Soviet Union is going to do what we want them to do because it's also good for the Soviet Union right. to do it, right? And they're they're working back with us in the same way. And I really think it, it counterintuitively goes back to the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and how that was ended. So that, right, there was an immense amount of distrust when you start the crisis. But by the end, we've, we've developed relationships and procedures to talk to each other. And we've developed theories about how each side is going to act. And on the basis of those theories, we now start to develop some trust. I, I want to bring this a bit further because trust is something that Russia may not be uh, extended from from really much of the world now. And even just this morning, Russia announced that it will reduce once again how much natural gas it's going to be putting through to Europe through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. They're cutting it by another half to down to 20 percent of capacity. This was just announced shortly before we started speaking. So you may not have heard the news, but. Um, this doesn't make, uh, this doesn't make Europe happy, uh, especially Germany, I would think who, who they're just so reliant on, on Russian fuel. Uh, is this, I'm going to ask an obvious question, but I want you to answer it as fully as possible. How, how much of a squeeze does this put on, on Europe at this point? Europe already is having problems keeping the lights on in many places. So the, the EU, um, passed some uh, some laws, right, declaring that they were going to wean themselves off of Russian oil, for instance. It's not gas, but Russian oil, and then right. some gas by the end of this calendar year. That said, this, of course, hurts. But the EU is now aware that they can't trust Russia. And even if the war were to end today, right, what Russia has done is, is destroyed their long-term prospects as a trusted partner in natural gas and oil into, in the Western world. And what's happening as we talk is that Canada and the U.S., right, and, and, and Qatar and other places are using their, their liquid natural gas capacity 
to start to bring in LNG to the EU pipelines, right? And to fill those pipelines with LNG gas instead of Russian gas. Now, this is going to take time. It's more expensive. It's slower. It's going to take building some more terminals uh, to offload the gas in Europe. But all that stuff is in process now. And sooner or later in the next few years, right, if Russia cuts gas down to these levels again, it's not going to hurt Europe because Europe will have developed these alternate um, sources, these alternate capabilities for it. And I think that's really important uh, for people to understand, right? That what's, what's so amazing to me when I look at the, the course of this war is the unity that you see in the EU, which is a place that isn't very unified right. uh, on foreign policy issues. And the commitment that they have made on behalf of the Ukrainian people to take on the suffering, the economic suffering that they're going to have to take on um, to wean themselves from, from Russian hydrocarbons. And now I'm a skeptic. I don't think it's going to happen to the degree that, that uh, you know, the EU is saying it's going to happen right now. It's probably going to take longer, you know, as these things always do. But even if, even if half of what they say uh, should happen is going to happen, it will change the, the, the geostrategic structure of the world because it's, it's, it's now taking away Russia's biggest market. You've been listening to Professor Matthew Schmidt from the University of New Haven. He is a professor of national security and international affairs. He's with us on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. We'll have more with Professor Schmidt straight ahead. How long would that take to really impact Russia's, uh, A, its economy, B, its ability to finance its own war, uh, where the point it really does squeeze them? Um, And I want to sort of... It's not exactly the same thing, obviously, but uh, the 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 maximum pressure campaign of sanctions on Iran by the United States during the Trump administration had really crippled Iran's ability to do the bad things that it does in terms of exporting terrorism uh, by by curtailing the amount of of Russian fuel that Europe buys. How much does it shrink Russia's capabilities to wage this war on Ukraine to threaten other neighbors? At what point does it begin to really take a toll on them, do you think? I mean, are we looking at months or years? I think years. I think it it really takes no toll on their ability to wage the war over the next year, maybe even two years. Russia has uh, cash reserves built up. The problem it faces is where is it going to source the materials to, uh, you know, repair and replace and, and produce more of the weapons that it needs. That's not an issue of cash. That's an issue of, of, sanctions on sellers not not on russia as the buyer right um right as you as you go on uh, a few years from now then i think it's it's going to be a problem i think the real issue for russia th- this is something i mean clearly putin did not think this through is that when the war is over this military that putin has spent a ton of money on building up from say 2008 till now will be destroyed even if he wins the war Right. And he'll have to rebuild it. And he won't have at that point the the inflow right to replace those reserves that he's spending now because he's not going to have the oil and gas revenue at the same rates. And he's still going to have to face sanctions out there. And so he's he's really destroying his military project in Ukraine, whatever happens. Um, And I would just I'm going to I'm going to push back on the Iran thing. Sure. I don't think that the sanctions on Iran have have kept Iran from doing anything different on its foreign policy. Certainly not in the sense that it, it, it somehow means that they that they haven't had the financial resources to do it. 
if they've decided to not, you know, not use the IRGC uh, or Hezbollah as often, those are those are decisions um, that come from other logics. But they certainly continue to have enough money to do it. Professor Matthew Schmidt of the University of New Haven, you are a professor of national security and international affairs. Thank you so much for being with us once again on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. It's always a pleasure. Till next time. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.